Welcome to the Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care podcast. Why does this topic matter? One person in the United States dies from a drug overdose every six minutes. We as healthcare providers must do better to treat addiction, prevent overdoses, and improve the lives of our patients and their families. This podcast is designed to provide you with simple and evidence-based information on substance use disorders that you can use to take better care of your patients on your next shift. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. We are here again for another great episode of Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care. Dr. Casey Grover here yet again as your host. One follow-up from episode 22 on fentanyl. I wanted to briefly provide some references for my numbers on the section on the number needed to treat. There's a fantastic and evidence-based website that describes the NNT, or number needed to treat, for various interventions. It's thennt.com. And that's actually where I got the numbers for aspirin for stroke and PPIs for upper GI bleed. Each calculation is based on a high-quality study or review article of the topic. The NNT for PPIs for GI bleed is from a Cochrane review in 2010, and the NNT for aspirin to prevent a stroke is from the Lancet in 2009. Full citations for both are available on the NNT.com. For the number needed to treat on buprenorphine, I calculated that myself from an article from the BMJ in 2017 entitled Mortality Risk During and After Opioid Substitution Treatment, Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis of Cohort Studies. In the spirit of keeping this podcast evidence-based, I just wanted to share the evidence behind the numbers. Okay, moving on. This episode will be on the topic of vaping, specifically the history of vaping and the health effects of vaping. I was first asked to speak on this topic back in 2020 by a local high school that was putting together a parent university. I didn't know much about vaping prior to doing the presentation, so I read through the article on UpToDate entitled Vaping and E-Cigarettes and used that to guide me through the topic as I created my presentation. However, vaping is really its own world, so I had to research the topic quite a bit beyond the up-to-date article just to understand what's really happening and what's being sold online. I also needed to understand how vaping is marketed and how vaping is perceived by society. My presentation to the parent university seemed to be well-received and COVID hit about a month later, and I totally forgot about the presentation. Until last month, when I was invited back to the same school's parent university to talk again about the same topic, vaping. So, I pulled out the old slide deck, reviewed the most recent version of the article on UpToDate to see what had changed, and then dove into the internet to find out what is being sold and how it's marketed turns out that quite a lot has changed since 2020. For your reference, the article on UpToDate that I most recently reviewed is entitled Vaping and E-Cigarettes, and the authors are Nancy Rogoti and Krishna Reddy. 
This episode will be like previous episodes where I present the podcast episode from a slide deck rather than my usual prepared written episode. So once again, just like the one on fentanyl, my apologies if the episode is a little rough around the edges as I'm presenting off the cuff from my slide deck. And with that, let's get started. So this topic of vaping is extraordinarily broad, and I'm going to really focus on kind of three broad topics, the history of vaping, the health effects of vaping, and the hazards of vaping. And I really wanted to keep it that clean when I was first putting this together, but it turns out there's really just so much more. So I'm going to talk about its role in society as well. And people often ask, where did vaping start? And the story behind vaping is really that people wanted to find a safer cigarette. Cigarettes contain over 7,000 chemicals, and several hundred of them are known toxins. Approximately 70 are actually known to cause cancer. Some specific cancers that smoking increases the risk of would include leukemia, bladder cancer, cervical cancer, esophageal cancer, renal cell carcinoma, laryngeal cancer, the various oral cancers, pancreatic cancer, gastric cancer, colon and rectal cancer, and liver cancer. We also have to specifically discuss the relationship between cigarettes and lung cancer. Cigarettes are the most important cause of lung cancer in North America and Europe. For heavy smokers, one in three will develop lung cancer, as compared to non-smokers for whom less than one in 100 will develop lung cancer. That's an exceptionally large increase in risk. It also turns out, as we all know in the healthcare community, that there are other significant adverse effects on health from cigarettes. It increases symptoms from asthma, it causes vascular damage, leading to heart attacks, strokes, and amputations. It causes lung damage outside of lung cancer, like COPD and emphysema. There's actually an increased risk of depression with cigarettes. There's an increased risk in miscarriage or infertility, and the list goes on. And when you put all of the adverse health effects of cigarette together, every cigarette smoked reduces a person's lifespan on average by 11 minutes. Once again, for every cigarette you smoke, it reduces your lifespan on average by 11 minutes. And unfortunately, nicotine, which is one of the chemicals in cigarettes, is extremely addictive and makes it really hard to quit. Nicotine has effects both as a sedative and a stimulant. It causes adrenaline release, which some people feel like gives them more energy. It causes dopamine release, which makes people feel good and makes the nicotine addictive. And so there was a thought, well, gosh, people are addicted to cigarettes and nicotine, so there's got to be a better way to do this, right? And this really brings us to our first take-home point about vaping. Cigarettes are ridiculously hazardous to your health. And really, e-cigarettes and vaping was born out of trying to create a safer way to smoke. Now, electronic cigarettes first entered the market in US and China in 2003, and they entered the European market in 2006. Interestingly, they were originally 
brought into the market with small companies without the assistance of the government. And subsequently, some of these smaller companies have been actually bought out by big tobacco. An e-cigarette or a vape device works with three components. There's a liquid, which contains the desired chemical, and we'll talk about this in extraordinary detail. There's an atomizer, which is a vaporization chamber with a heating element, and then there's a battery. The atomizer heats the liquid and turns it into an aerosol, which can then be inhaled. And usually there's also something in the liquid that makes a vapor that makes it look like it's a smoke or something that looks like a cigarette. And there's been an evolution. The first generation really tried to mimic cigarettes. They were single use and discarded after the nicotine was used up. The second generation were more advanced. They were rechargeable, they had rechargeable batteries. You could increase the frequency or the length of a puff. You could alter the content of the liquid as well. The third generation, sometimes referred to as personalized vaporizers, included increased customization as compared to the second generation. The fourth generation, sometimes called pod mod devices, these were also rechargeable, but they had replaceable cartridges, and this allowed the use of different concentrations of nicotine or other chemicals, as we'll find out, and flavorings. And kind of on the tail end of this fourth generation are the so-called Juul devices, J-U-U-L. And these are very interesting because they actually resemble a USB drive, making them less detectable to the untrained eye, and they can also deliver particularly high concentrations of the chemicals that are desired, such as nicotine. And kind of thinking about this evolution over time, we went from the so-called cigalike, which was meant to look like and feel like a cigarette, to really a customized vapor delivery device. And I just want to take a minute and talk about Juul, because this was really a game changer in this industry. It's a small rectangular device. It actually looks like a USB drive. And what's interesting is the charger for the device is actually a USB. When you plug it in, it almost looks like a little USB Wi-Fi extender. And this has been a huge frustration for teachers is that these devices can be used in class or at home and teachers and parents may not know what's going on. Uh, they look pretty discreet when they're being used. They really do not look at all like a cigarette, and they tend to come in packages with different flavored cartridges. Now, moving on, we have now the latest generation, and there's been a return to the non-rechargeable disposable devices. They tend to be brightly colored and available in many flavors. An example you might have heard of would be a puff bar. There's also Bang or Podstick. There's so many brands and designs and flavors. And we actually also see this trend towards more colors and flavors in the alcohol industry. For example, you can buy gummy bear flavored vodka. And just to kind of put the timeline all together, we really saw U.S. Sigalikes, that first generation, again, in the mid-2000s. Vape pens began to emerge in 2009. We as the medical community finally caught up and started publishing on e-cigarettes in 2010. In 2011, you see the development of the box-style e-cigarettes that are more customizable. And in 2014, e-cigarette use surpassed cigarette use in high schoolers. In 2015, 
we see the release of Juul. In 2019, we start to see Evali, or the lung injury syndrome from these e-cigarettes, which we'll talk about in detail as well. And then also in 2019, we see the emergence of these disposable Juul-like devices like PuffBar. So that's the machinery. Let's talk about what these devices are actually vaporizing. What's in the liquid? It's sometimes called vape juice. Well, they usually contain some sort of chemical that is desired, whether that's nicotine or THC. There's usually something that makes vapor, and that's often propylene glycol, propylene glycerol, or ethylene glycol. There's usually also a vegetable glycerin in the vape juice as well, and this is actually made from heating vegetable fats with a basic chemical like lye. And then there's usually a flavoring. As far as the relative makeup, most e-liquid is 95% propylene glycol. Now, you might be wondering, where have I heard the chemical propylene glycol and ethylene glycol? And the answer is, it's actually antifreeze. I certainly was thrown for a loop because as an emergency physician, I know ethylene glycol as antifreeze because it's one of the toxic alcohols, and I wasn't as familiar with propylene glycol except to note that it's a common diluent in a lot of medications. But it really catches people's attention when you say, did you know you're vaping antifreeze? Very interesting. Also in these vape juices, there are other additives and products of combustion. And these can include metals like tin, lead, nickel, chromium, manganese, and arsenic. And there are also some of the compounds actually that are also contained in tobacco cigarettes like nitrosamines, carbonyl compounds, volatile organic compounds, and phenolic compounds. And when I gave this talk in 2020, this is what we knew about the long-term health effects of vaping and e-cigarettes, quote, no data examining the long-term health effects of e-cigarettes exists, end quote. And it turns out in 2022, we really don't know much more. Quote, the consequences of chronic e-cigarette aerosol inhalation are largely unknown, end quote. And, quote, little is known about the overall safety of the carcinogenic effects of propylene glycol or glycerol when heated and aerosolized, end quote. Now, as we dive into this topic of vape juice, we also have to consider that there are varying concentrations of the desired chemical, whether that be nicotine or THC. And for some of these devices like Juul, when you buy them, they come with a cartridge or a vape juice with a standard concentration, but you can refill them with whatever you like. So... I found online a product called Vape Juice, V-A-P-E-J-O-O-S-E. And on a website that I found, you can buy varying concentrations of nicotine from 0 milligrams per ml to 3 milligrams per ml to 6 milligrams per ml to 12 milligrams per ml to 24 milligrams per ml all the way up to 48 milligrams per ml. So that is a 48-fold variation in the concentration of nicotine that you can buy for these vape juices that people are vaping. So let's take a minute and talk about nicotine to understand why that variability 
is very interesting and potentially pretty dangerous. As we mentioned, first of all, nicotine is addictive. That's why it takes, on average, nine good faith attempts to quit traditional cigarettes. A traditional cigarette contains about 10 to 12 milligrams of nicotine, and the user usually only gets about 2 milligrams of nicotine when smoking. But these vape juices can go up to 48 milligrams per use. Nicotine can be toxic based on the amount of nicotine consumed and the size of the person. It's particularly toxic in children. And if you think about it, if these vape juices are in attractive, brightly colored bottles, it would be pretty interesting for a kid. And depending on the size of the child, a single dose of 40 to 60 milligrams can kill a child. Going back to this vape juice product, it is 48 milligrams per milliliter. One milliliter could potentially contain a toxic dose for a child. And this is going to be when there is nicotine poisoning, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, difficulty breathing, lung secretions, and it can even progress to muscle spasm, paralysis, coma, and seizures. So again, we can really take the dose of nicotine up to ridiculously high levels, so it's important to know that this could be a particular reason why a child ends up poisoned. Vaping can also be done with a liquid that contains cannabis products. These Juul devices and other similar vaping devices can be very easy to conceal, making it also easy to conceal marijuana product use. And these pods and vape juice are sold with flavors, and if they contain THC but do not contain any other part of the cannabis plant, they actually avoid the characteristic odor of cannabis. So you can basically be vaping THC, the psychoactive ingredient with cannabis, and it smells like raspberry. So again, this comes back to a criticism by teachers is that they have no idea what kids are even vaping in these devices, and it could be as problematic as THC. Notably also, there's a lot of vape juice that contains CBD, which is, as we know, not psychoactive, but it's still very interesting to consider this industry of cannabis products and vape juice. Cannabis contains over 400 chemicals, and people usually focus on THC, which is the psychoactive compound, and then CBD, which I mentioned is not psychoactive. And if you think about it, THC is what gets people high. And I want to provide a reference onto how much THC has been in traditional cannabis versus modern cannabis versus vape juice. So going back to 1972, cannabis was estimated to be about 1% containing THC. So when you smoked a cannabis cigarette, also known as a joint, you would get about 1% THC. By 2013, 2014, that amount of THC in cannabis had risen to 13%. So from 1972 to 2013, 2014, the amount of THC in cannabis had increased from 1% to 13%. So that's a 13-fold increase. I found one product of vape juice called Delta 8 that was 96% THC. This is so incredibly potent 
and it really in some ways behaves like a totally different drug when the THC is so high. It's almost like drinking beer versus Everclear. If you drink a can of beer, you might not even feel anything or even just a little bit of a, a euphoria. If you drink a can of Everclear, that could be potentially fatal. And just to clarify, Everclear is a grain alcohol that is sold as a beverage, which is 100% alcohol. And it's the same with THC. It's just important to understand how non-natural these concentrations of THC are in these vape juices. It's also important to know that cannabis truly is addictive and vaping cannabis is just as addictive. National statistics on cannabis would say that one in six users of cannabis products before the age of 18 will become addicted. About one in 10 users of cannabis products in general will become addicted and the rates of addiction are the same when using traditional cannabis cigarettes, again, that's called a joint, versus vaping THC. One last issue to consider as far as health safety with e-cigarettes is that e-cigarettes can also cause burns, injuries related to device malfunction, apparently some of these have exploded, and injuries related to chemicals used in the device harming the body, such as irritation of the eyes, skin, and mucous membranes. And that brings us to our second set of take-home points. We just don't have the data to know if long-term use of e-cigarettes is safe or not. The vapor comes from smoking antifreeze, most commonly propylene glycol. Nicotine and cannabis can be consumed at much higher levels than traditional cigarettes or marijuana cigarettes when a person is vaping because of these customized concentrations of vape juice. And the rates of addiction are just as high between smoking traditional cigarettes or joints and vaping when used recreationally. One last question. Could vaping work to stop smoking? Well, for cigarette smoking, nicotine replacement therapy, as we've talked about on this podcast, like patches, gum, or lozenges, really is an effective way to stop smoking. And as a reminder, the way these work is they replace nicotine to prevent nicotine withdrawal, and then you taper down the amount of nicotine over time. So e-cigarettes can be useful when used as a device for delivery of nicotine replacement therapy as an aid to stop smoking. Now, moving on, who actually are the people that are vaping? Well, it turns out for nicotine, it's divided into sporadic vape users and regular vape users. Most regular users, interestingly, also smoke regular cigarettes, and this may be the population that's trying to use more safely or trying to quit. For sporadic vape users, these tend to be folks that are younger with actually a higher education, and they tend to be non-daily users initially. Only about 1 in 20 initially uses daily. But this can progress as anywhere from about 1 in 9 to 1 in 10 progress to daily use. And it turns out it really is a phenomenon among younger Americans. About 9% of adults aged 18 to 24 in the United States vape. About 20% of high school students in America vaped in 2020. And about 5% of middle school students vaped in 2020. 
and we should probably drill in a little bit into vaping in school. Vaping, as you see from the numbers, has become more common in our schools, particularly high schools. It has a social appeal. Students use the devices in a social setting or gain peer acceptance. Sometimes students hang out after school to vape together. Students may be doing it to get high, whether it's with nicotine or marijuana. And furthermore, vaping is also chosen because it's a means to avoid getting caught. These devices are easy to conceal and do not look like and smell like traditional smoking paraphernalia. We're going to pivot here a little bit to a very interesting topic that most of us as healthcare practitioners have heard about, and that's e-volley, or e-cigarette slash vaping acute lung injury. In 2019, there were over 2,000 reported cases, and it's essentially an acute lung injury from vaping. Symptoms, ironically, are somewhat similar to COVID, cough, difficulty breathing, infiltrates and fluid in the lungs, hypoxia, and some of these cases can be really severe. There are cases in which folks have had to be intubated, and there's even a case of a lung transplant. I'm aware of one. There may be more since I haven't researched that literature recently. Evali, as it's called, E-V-A-L-I, again, that's e-cigarette slash vaping acute lung injury, as mentioned, can be difficult to diagnose. It initially just mimics other lung conditions like pneumonia, bronchitis, lung cancer, or even COVID. And there's no definitive test to make the diagnosis. It's basically acute lung injury seen on imaging, x-ray or CT, other causes get ruled out, and there's a history of heavy vaping. Now, essentially, this happens because users are inhaling hot and irritating chemicals, which causes the acute lung injury. Interestingly, it's most commonly seen when people are vaping THC. It is less common when people are vaping nicotine. It can be seen when people are vaping THC and nicotine together, and the risk is much higher when people refill the standard cartridges that they get with their device with a custom vape juice. And this brings us to our third set of take-home points. Vaping is a relatively common behavior among young adults. Vaping in our schools is a significant problem. And chemicals inhaled while vaping can cause severe lung injury, also known as EVALI. And there's one other thing to talk about here, which is that there is a social phenomenon developing around vaping. And because you can kind of customize the chemicals, people actually can play with the smoke to make shapes or designs when they're vaping by exhaling. And there's a whole movement on Instagram and social media of people who have a presence as expert vapors. They talk about different maneuvers, different shapes. They talk about blowing circles or even there's one where you breathe out through your nose and your mouth at the same time making a star-like pattern. It's really interesting and people are famous simply because they vape and the shapes they make while vaping. And there's even vape bars. You can go to a vape bar and try different vape juices, different concentrations, THC, nicotine. Just as you would go to a wine bar and browse the wines, you can go to a vape bar and browse the vape juice. And I just want to make one clarification. As I was presenting off the slides, sometimes my words weren't perfect. 
when I say a person is vaping cannabis or vaping marijuana, I'm actually referring to the fact that they're vaping a specific chemical from cannabis. It's usually THC or CBD. And with that, that's the end of this episode. I have to say, researching vaping online with Google searches was absolutely fascinating to see what's out there being sold and marketed and to look at, again, this social phenomenon of vaping. I hope that this provided you with a good, high-level overview of vaping. Thanks for listening, and thanks for what you do. And don't forget, treating substance use disorders saves lives.